Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Miami's her home now, but the writer and author Anna Menendez has had many homes. All of them show up in her work. She looks for adventure, and her characters find it. Her latest book, The Apartment, includes a parade of personalities from Latin America to the Czech Republic. There are risk-takers and recluses, the naive and the scorned. All of them move to and through a single apartment on Miami Beach throughout the decades. The apartment itself is a ghostly character. Time is a character, too. Like her characters, Anna has moved through the world with an adventurous spirit. She was a freelance writer in New Delhi, a journalist in the Middle East, Istanbul, Jordan, Cairo. She was a Fulbright scholar in Egypt. Riskiest of all, she's been a Metro columnist at the Miami Herald. She was there twice. Now she teaches at Florida International University, where she's an English and humanities professor. Has she finally found a place to call home? Let's ask her. Welcome, Anna. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks for having me. So I know that you're friends with the FIU professor, Philip Carter, because you thanked him in the acknowledgments yes, of your book. Um, and he wrote about the Miami dialect. So here's the test of whether you can call Miami home. Do you speak Miami? <laughs> uh, I think I've forgotten a lot of my Miami, um, <clears throat> but I, I didn't embarkate you. Right? You Here didn't embarkate <laughs> me. Thank you very much for not embarkating us. That is such a great Miami yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I love that you know you have such a unique perspective. You must have such a unique perspective uh, on Miami and making it. You know, Miami Beach. We call everything Miami, right? Anything, anything south of That's the right. Dade Broward line. Yeah. That unique perspective, I think, probably really uh, influenced and, and helped you get into the minds of these different characters in this book, right? I think so, absolutely. And you know, somebody, at the, when I did the reading at Books and Books, asked why did I pick Miami Beach and why did I pick a, a, this apartment building? And part of the answer, <clears throat> well, part of the answer is unknowable, right? right. Uh, even to us. But Where does inspiration come yeah, from, right? we don't know. Right. But... But part of it to me is that it's a place that I know well. And um, when you're writing a book, as you know, uh, you spend a lot of time in that place, uh, mm. it, you know, in your head. But mm -hmm. it, it has to be a place that you want to be in um, and are not uh, and can find things to write about, right? That you don't, you know it more than superficially. And so, yes, I think it's, you know, Miami has uh, so many stories in it that it's it's really um, a gift for writers. Yeah. I remember when I was writing my book, I and it was in Cuba is where I, I spent most of the time. So when I would go back to it, you know, weeks and months later, I took a lot of pictures. So I would use the pictures as talismans, you know, sometimes visually just to bring the, the visual back, but sometimes to, to remember, recall how I felt. Did you have anything like that, that when, as you went through, that helped you kind of tap into those people and those places that made it so, so real? You know, I spent uh, 12 years. I started this book uh, mm. in 2010, 2011. Oh, I can imagine uh, it took so many forms. <laughs> it took a lot of forms. And so in a lot of ways, I knew these characters more than I've known any other characters that I've worked with just because I've known them through many uh, versions of mm. themselves. Uh, it's almost like knowing a real person because you do know, you know, once you get to a certain age and you've known someone a very long time, you've known a lot of different versions of them. Yeah. And I, I felt the same way with these characters. And so 
Um, I know that a lot of writers work from photographs and visuals. I know Aduch Dantika talks about this. She always has a, a mood board when she starts a book. And she the great Aduch Dantika? Uh, yes, a, the uh, great Aduch, who we all love. Genius Grant winner? Yes, yes. She's, um, she was my first uh, professor at NYU when oh. I did my MFA. Oh, you had nowhere to go, yes. but but to, to greatness after uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a real privilege. Uh, everybody that I worked with there was just lovely. It was a wonderful time of my life. Um, but anyways, I know that she she works that way, and a lot of writers do. I um, I don't so much. I will listen to music sometimes, um, but for these characters, it was mostly you know people and impressions that I've collected just mentally right. over my life. What struck me is the characters aren't aren't like you know it's not like a a narcoleptic Ar- Argentine or something like that. It's not some weird random cobbled together person. These are they feel like real people at different stages in their lives. Um, and uh, you know, the, there's just something. I mean, without giving things away, there's there's different people that are that are coming into different points, and and I think about you kind of being a person that kind of has moved through so many places and so many times in your life, and I thought, you know, it's just kind of going through your CV, like you're a real risk taker. <laughs> like maybe that's not maybe that's not the way it rings to you, but the fact that you've moved to so many places, not just been there for a week or two, but really kind of tried to make home. In different places, mm-hmm. and I wonder what how you <clears throat> how you approach that. It's funny that you uh, consider me a risk taker because I consider myself a coward, uh, <laughs> and a lot of uh, my movement has been a kind of running away. Um, oh, running from rather than running to. I think so. A lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Um, I I say that you know if if my family um, had a, a crest and a motto, it would be this is. This is nonsense. I, I won't curse on yeah, the you air. Used, you, you, used, you said BS in your <laughs> yes, essay you wrote. Yes, yes, this is BS. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of here. And uh, that's, that's uh, you know, being the daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter of immigrants, the sense that you it's okay to quit um, and it's okay to uh, scramble for a better life somewhere. And so, yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. I am a risk taker. I'm going towards things. I'm going towards adventures. And I do certainly think a lot of it has been that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after I left Cairo, I had the opportunity to apply for a couple of jobs in New York City. I knew that I wasn't coming back to the Herald. But, you know, the the man, wonderful man, who's now my husband, that I had met in Cairo was going to Amsterdam. And I thought, well, I, I've, I've lived in New York, but I've never lived in Amsterdam, you know, and this is pretty nice. So That sounds uh, like fun. Yeah, it sounds like fun. And it was. It was a wonderful adventure. So there is there is both. There is the uh, running away from uncomfortable situations, as I did uh, when I was a columnist here. I love that intro. <laughs> it's the most dangerous job of all is to be a metro columnist in Miami. I couldn't imagine anything more yeah. terrifying than yeah. being a columnist in this town. Pretty much, pretty much. So, But there was also this, this running to adventure. Right. Um, who, I mean, is it was it watching your parents, because your parents are Cuban immigrants? I mean, yeah. was there a person in your life that you you looked at, I mean, even maybe you look back now and says, and taught you not to be scared or to embrace adventure or to not be afraid to mm-hmm. scrap it and start new? Oh, absolutely. Uh, both my grandfathers, actually. Um, Dionisio Martinez was born in, uh, in Asturias, uh, poor. And Don't you have to say that? Asturias? Asturias, yes. <laughs> he, he, um, he didn't miss Spain a lot. He missed yeah. the people, but he didn't miss the country too much. Uh, but he, was, he left when he was 14 by himself on a boat for Cuba. And that takes so much. I mean, 
I mean, my son's 12, and I, I don't, you know, he can barely tie his shoes, you know. Um, and <laughs> my, my dad left the little province where he was at in, in southern Cuba, yeah. to, he hopped on a train at nine years old yeah. to sell tomatoes in another town by himself. Right, right. I mean, wh- where did these kids come from, you know? It's unbelievable. Uh, they were so adventurous and so strong. I mean, he did say that he had never seen himself in a mirror, and when he got on the boat come to on. Cuba and he saw himself in a full-length mirror, he said that tiny little skinny boy <laughs> is going by himself he had another idea of what he, he felt so much bigger felt so much bigger yeah. so that you must was, have heard all these stories growing up then these were yeah. you, this sounds like something that was baked in very young absolutely yeah. absolutely all of these stories and then i think of my grandfather saul who um you know when polio came to varadero where they lived Oof. he just took the kids out of school and went to the finca in cardenas and just took them out of school and I, you know, that that's wonderful. You know, he's not listening to what people are saying, oh, the kids need to be in school. He's he's making a decision, a quick decision, and, and leaving um, he probably for ch- the family. Were funded he saved, by members. He probably saved his kids' lives by, doing, by making a decision like that. Yes, I think so. Like just literally saying, uh, this is a decision I'm going to make. And I can, I mean, we've just lived through a pandemic, so you can imagine. Yes. I mean, we know that people made similar decisions said, Absolutely. and moved from urban areas to more urban areas like where my mom is from, Cardenas, <laughs> to more uh, to more uh, suburban or yeah. rural areas. Yeah, I didn't realize your your family was from Cardenas. I'm sure they know each other. I'm that is such <laughs> a tiny town. The folks yes. from Vicky Bakery are, were from Cardenas. It's like uh, yes. that's such a tiny little circle. Yes, yeah. That uh, that all those folks definitely know each other. Uh, uh, so you grew up with these kind of stories of of you know what home was, and was there a point that like. Um, that they started to talk that you started to think about like what places what oh what places will I go you know it's like what was it that really interested you in in kind of exploring and being kind of fearlessly trying new places you know even if it's running from like you mentioned running from yeah you know that's a that's a tough uh, question for me because I don't know. Mm. <laughs> uh, I just, I do know that even as a little girl, I would see the planes going overhead and think, oh, they're off to some wonderful adventure. Uh, oh, that's interesting that you, you know, would look up and, and think about yeah, the people inside. Yeah, and you know, I, I remember very clearly being a little girl and, and going to pick up a, a cousin of my father's, a young, he must have been in his early 20s. Uh, at the airport, and this was in the years, you probably remember this, where you could go right to the gate to wait for people as they came off the plane. And I remember we're waiting there for him, and he comes out, and he's he looks awesome. You know, he's got these bell bottoms on, and like you know, boots with a little bit of a heel on them, and long hair. And I thought, oh, that's so exciting. It's so romantic. This guy just moves around and he travels, and so unlike our our quotidian lives here, me yes. going to school at you know going at seven and coming back at three and what have you. Yes, yes. Where yes. was he coming from? Oh, I don't know. Uh, hmm. I was I was small. This is when we lived in Tampa because I grew up in Tampa. Oh, um, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't call, don't send me letters, Tampa. It's fine. You know, You're I fine. was just there. I was just in St. Pete for a reading, and you'd be surprised if you haven't been there in a long time. It is a you know I went sparkly there like a year metropolis. Ago. It is very different <laughs> than is. when I was a, a young reporter in Hernando County. Oh wow! For the then St. Pete times. Yeah, thoughts and prayers, that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our guest today is the author, Anna Menendez. She brings an apartment in Miami Beach to life and tells the stories of the people who lived there over the span of 70 years in her new book, The Apartment. 
So these characters, they come from so many places. They 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 move through. They stay. They add a richness to this to this one singular place that you kind of use as the device to to talk about how a place changes over time. And and um and I know the genesis the genesis of this maybe is uh, the idea of I can imagine the uncle traveling with that suitcase, you know, <laughs> and and the memories wrapped up in it. And there's a suitcase involved in both the book and in in. Uh, in the the beginning of that, right? Yes, uh, the suitcase. Um, I mentioned that I started this book in in uh, 2010, and that was after reading a, a wonderful novel uh, called uh, La Vie Mode d'Emploi mm-hmm. by um, George Perrick, Life a User's Manual in English. It took place in an apartment Thank you complex, for that. and uh, <laughs> and uh, they, you know, the stories traced different. Anyways, I was very influenced by that, but the real heart of this book came a couple of years later when uh, my husband was renting an apartment that he owned in in South Beach and a troubled tenant left a suitcase there he left in a hurry but left behind a suitcase that sounds very Miami yes right and my husband uh, who's not from here he he was born in uh, in Czechoslovakia uh, what was then Czechoslovakia just assumed the suitcase was empty and he opened it and it and and there he found uh personal letters photographs a whole life Mm. a whole life of an immigrant Mm. right and it moved him tremendously because even though he doesn't consider himself an immigrant um you know he is one he's far from home he came with a suitcase uh, I'm just here for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Said every I'm Cuban just, who came in 1959, that's 1960. Right. right, we're going back. We're yeah. just, you know, we're waiting. We're all waiting. Um, and so he uh, was enormously moved by this, and so was I. And it got me thinking about, you know, what the suitcase means to the immigrant and how it's this impossibly small container and you have to make choices about what goes in it. And it really encapsulates the idea of exile and immigration. And you learn a lot about yourself uh, with what you'll put in a suitcase when you know you're never coming back. Yeah. And so I wrote about this. This was the seminal image. Umberto Eco talks about the seminal image, the image that gives rise to a book. And I know we just talked mm-hmm. about, I, I don't keep a mood board, uh, but it did start from from this image of the lonely suitcases in, in an apartment. And it got me thinking about um, who else, you know, was in that apartment? Who else came with suitcases? Why this suitcase? Why leave it behind? All of these questions. And for me, always as a writer, uh, I'm not uh, the genesis of any book. Mm-hmm. For me, is not an, a big idea or some abstract concept. It's a question. It's a concrete image. It's an emotion. And uh, for for this book, it was very much. Uh, this suitcase Mm -hmm. and I I wrote a essay for literary hub about it and while I was writing it uh, I I thought well here I am at this age and I've never asked my mom what she had in her suitcase when she left Cuba well there's nothing like writing to make you look deeply into yourself and then into how I got here yes indeed feeling as well and I was shocked when she told me mostly bolts of fabric. Oh. And I thought why why that? Was yeah. she a designer? Was she No. She no, she was very young. She came with her parents. Uh, she was not very young, but she was in her early 20s. Uh, they brought a couple blouses, mm-hmm. uh, a dress which she's, you know, 
uh, fixing up for me to wear now. But uh, oh come on, yes. a dress that she brought from a Cuba. A dress that she brought from Cuba, beautiful embroidered. Beautiful dress, but mostly what they packed in the suitcase was fabric, and they they weren't designers. My grandmother did sew, as I think a lot of women sewed, um, but to me it was so emblematic of the kind of hope that uh, immigrants have to have. Right, yeah. we're going to make something of this in the place we're going. This reminds me so much of a story. My my uncle came. Um, you couldn't really bring money out of Cuba, so he he bought an old Omega watch. Uh, gold, partially gold and solid gold, and he said, you know, if things get bad, I can always sell this watch. And yeah. things did not go bad enough to where he had to do that, and, and his son has that watch today that oh, we, that's we fixed up and it runs great. So those yeah. those little connections, and they all come with us in this suitcase. Yeah. So this yeah. goes to a section that you're going to read for us now. I'm not going to read the section about the suitcase. Okay. It is the, that section is quite long, um, but it is the heart of, of the book, right? Because it's this immigrant who comes... Uh, from Cuba recently with his suitcase mm. and um, and then the realtor finds a suitcase. Uh, I'm not going to read that section. I'm going to read another section which I think resonates. Um, I read part of this at the Books and Books reading but only a small part because I think only in Miami can you read this section and have people um, understand and, and, and remember the places that she mentioned. So I'll, I'll just read this very quick section. Um, it's from a a uh, tenant called Pilar uh, in 2010, and she has just, uh, she worked for the newspaper, which she's uh, nicknamed The Horror. Uh-huh. I don't <laughs> see any parallels there at all. <laughs> no, none, none. And, um, and so she's, um, she's been uh, laid off. And so I'll, I'll read a little bit. And she is not happy about it. And she's not happy. She's a very, very angry woman. So I'll read, uh, it's about two pages long. It's just a section uh, of this particular section of the novel. Earlier this year, after 18 years with the Miami Horror, which HR decided to calculate down to eight years because of an ill-advised leave that she took in 20, 2001, cuando se enfermó de los nervios, Pilar was involuntarily separated. Involuntary separation. That's what they call fired now. Lord Jesus, why aren't people rioting in the streets to defend the English language? But so it goes. An institution that so long trafficked in precise language, at least when it came to the suffering of others, took refuge in corporate babble when it came to reckoning with its own crimes. Involuntary separation. Her editor gave her the news over the phone. Two days later, she was signing a, quote, certificate of separation, which included a clause stipulating that in return for her laughable hush money, 18000 after taxes, she promised not to trash her idiotic former employers. Screw them, but she signed. The enormity of it didn't hit her at once. Pilar assumed she would be able to find a job elsewhere. Over the years, she'd received many offers from distant suitors, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and she'd always turned them down, though not before extracting a nice raise from the horror in the process. Pilar is Cuban, Miami-born. Miami, for better or worse, usually worse, is home. She went to elementary and high school here, parochial schools. She graduated from college here. She got her first job here. Her entire family is here, seven cousins, eight aunts and uncles, two sets of grandparents, one still living, a thousand friends and acquaintances. Memories of hurricanes, some vicious, some empty threats. 
Swap Shop, Westchester Mall, El Tenseng, Lourdes Academy, Enormous Stakes at El Cristo, Luria's, Europa Shoes, MDCC. Pilar cannot conceive of living anywhere else. For several months after her firing, Pilar lived in dreamland. She continued her Wednesday ritual of lunch at Books and Books and kept up her Saturday night visits to Duffy's, secure in the delusion that she was still wanted. As summer turned to fall, reality began to intrude on her ideal, which is to say Pilar began to run out of money. Pilar sent out a few resumes and emails, but after 18 years as an investigative reporter in Miami, the last two as a columnist, she managed to anger every major employer in town. Working for the county was out, of course, as was the city of Miami. Same went for the university. The list was depressingly long. She wrote a few magazine articles, How to Tell If Your Man Is Lying to You, that kept her afloat for a while. She tried writing for one of those internet mills, lasted half a day. Most recently, she'd landed an adjunct position at a community college in North Broward. The pay barely covered gas money. After taxes and maintenance on the condo, she was in the red, and she didn't have health insurance. Something had gone wrong in this country between the time she graduated from high school and the time she found herself in middle age, broke and without prospects. What was it exactly? Where had they all failed one another? That was Anna Menendez reading from her latest book, The Apartment. Okay, there's so much to unpack there. I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> there, there is obviously there's what are they? What's the, what's the saying? Uh, all uh, all fiction is autobiographical, and all <laughs> autobiography all autobiography is fiction. Yeah. Um, how, how much did you find, if not you, people that you knew in that scenario? Because I see some that I know as well. Yes, yes. A lot of people that I know. Um, little parts of me. Of course, I, I wasn't born in Miami, and I, uh, I also didn't go to school here until I was in high school. Um, but, you know, I know the steaks that it Cristo from the visits here. Oh, yes, uh, covered in those papitas. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Westchester Mall, you know, all of these things. Um, and, and Luria's, right? Europa Shoes, which ruined all our feet back in the 80s. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of fun to write that section because I was able to um, really channel uh, an anger that I think a lot of um, a lot of people in my generation have. Like uh, I did all the things right, and now yeah. I find myself in a in a bad place. Wait a minute, what did I do? What did yeah. I do wrong? I know I did everything right. Yes, exactly, right. Yeah. exactly. And I think it's uh, you know it's not confined to Miami, obviously, or yep. to Cuban Americans. This is something that's uh, nationwide, worldwide, perhaps. The Which is why it changed. resonates, I think. No matter yeah. where you read that section, it, it makes sense, especially if you're like, say, mid-life. Mid yes. where, where did things go wrong? Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, because you have this sense of place for Miami, but you you came here later. Like you said, you you grew up in Tampa. Mm -hmm. Then you then you moved to Broward, right? Yes. And then, uh, and then it was later to Miami. So really, it was mm -hmm. like a shorter interlude before you kind of started to make your career at one point, right? Yeah, I was very much an outsider in Miami. And I think, um, you know, write, outsiders make great writers, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because we are always trained to be um, looking at things from a certain remove, right? We are, mm -hmm. we're not, a, we're, we're more aware of the water we're swimming in, I think as outsiders. Right. So that, uh, I think, really helped uh, for me to see some things that uh, for other people would just be 
normal. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yes, I was, um, I was born in L.A., and I grew up in Tampa. We moved to uh, Margate. My father was a, uh, an executive with uh, GTE, and so he was transferred there. And, um, and so I didn't move to Miami until, until high school. Did you, when you're writing about, you know, because the, the book is so much about a sense of place, you know, but it's also people coming from places that are important to them. Mm-hmm. Did you start, did you think about the places that historically were important to your family or important to you and really start thinking about what places were formative to me? Absolutely. Um, Cuba, of course, which is uh, a thread running through almost all of my books. Even though you were, you were born here in yeah. the, or you were born in L.A. Right? Born yeah. in L.A., uh, but all, you know. Yeah, cube, cube, <laughs> our inherited memories, right? That's right, yeah. that's right, which in some ways can be stronger and more lasting mm-hmm. uh, than actual memories. Right, because it forms just, you to create, it forces you to create images in your mind. That's right, yeah. and they are specially chosen. There's only a few of them, mm-hmm. and they're drilled over and over and over again in a way that actual memory is not, right? We experience life, we move on. And um, so Cuba definitely... But also, uh, for me, Lebanon, and that's become more and more important to me to uncover that aspect of of my uh, history. My grandmother was born in Cuba, but to Lebanese immigrants, and um, they had a tough life. You know, they left Lebanon, my great-grandparents, under duress, under um, threat of violence and famine, and... Uh, that's a story that, you know, they didn't talk a lot about it. And mm. it's it, it's one of the things that I want to explore maybe in a in the next book is that. But I but I do have a, an, a character that is inspired by uh, my great-grandmother and my grandmother. I mean, she it's a very different character because she fled the Civil War, which my family, my immediate family was not there for. They had left already. But, um, you know... Wars have a lot more in common uh, with each other than not. And so that was my way of sort of paying tribute to her courage, you know, because she was also running away, uh, but also running too. There was also, there's both, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. And um, it was my way of, of, I don't know, thanking her for doing it. Our guest today is the author, Anna Menendez. She brings an apartment in Miami Beach to life and tells the story of the people who live there. Books is called The Apartment. So we're talking about running from and running to and running and running in general. Um, and you were you had been you kind of you, your parents kind of made this life for you here in South Florida, you know, maybe against your will because, you know, you're kids, you're dragged along by your parents. But then you spend the next part of your life really uh, exploring far and beyond. We're a columnist at the Herald, which will break anyone. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but then your life really begins to to be enter a point where you are getting um, a richness of exposure. Can you talk about that a little bit about some of the things that you were like that pushed you to move on to the next thing? Yes. Well, uh, you know, I moved to India. Um, at the same time that I was doing my MFA at NYU, I was uh, dividing my time with New Delhi. So I was there in the summers and breaks, and then I spent another year there. This seems like such like a, like throwing a, a dart at the map, or like yeah. eat, pray, love. Like what happened? No, no, not what quite. T- what sent you to New <laughs> Delhi from, from Miami to California to the New York and New Delhi, right? 
Yeah, we, uh, well, I, I was married um, while we were still in Miami, and then we both left mm-hmm. to L.A., uh, my husband at the time to the L.A. Times and, and me to the Orange County Register. And we quickly realized that we didn't want to be there for just a variety of reasons and uh, basically said, first one out wins. And he applied for a position uh, in India to be the uh, bureau chief there. And I applied to graduate school because I've always, I always wanted to write fiction. And oh, I had been the, writing. The MFA, right? Yeah, I had been writing uh, always, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my whole life. Uh, but I really wanted to. I felt like I needed to get more training in that area. And I, I also was burned out already on journalism. And I wanted. I called NYU my spa vacation. You know, I just. <laughs> That's funny because yeah, I mean there is very much a you know a dailiness yeah. to it. You know where yeah. it's a it's, it's rinse tough. rinse and repeat, right? Yeah, it's, you know, 60-hour weeks. It's worrying all the time. It's getting up in the middle of the night saying, oh, you know, I spelled that person's name wrong or got this fact wrong or Lord. this. And you, you You're know, giving me flashbacks yeah. here. <laughs> I still have nightmares about it. Oh, my God, every day. I, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough It's tough work, and I wanted a break, and, and graduate school was that break. I was very fortunate to, to be able to get in. Uh, but I was also living in India, and, what and so was that, that was that. That must have been a culture shock. I mean, it was, and um, you know, it's a long way of answering your question or addressing your question, which is that until that time, until I landed in India and, and lived there, uh, I had been pretty sheltered, uh, Cuban American girl, middle private class, school kid. private school kid, yeah. you know, and. Um, I, I always say India stripped me of my vanities, uh, and in a very good way, right? It exposed me to other stories. In what specific ways, like, that, that hit you that, I mean, did you just sit in your room for a week and just before you ventured out, how did you approach yeah, that? No, it was, it was initially tough for a lot of reasons. It's hot, uh, you know, there's, it's a, it is a culture shock, I think, for a lot of Americans in general. Mm. I got to really love India, uh, love the people, love the culture, um, love the endurance and the creativity that that people live with. And I also got to experience their stories, and their stories are uh, stories of displacement and violence, and I really... You know, it, it, it was late to realize this. I think I was in my late 20s, but I came to see that suffering, displacement, exile, um, th- these are universal, unfortunately, and every culture has experienced them and every culture has their stories of it. And, you know, if you grow up in Miami, there's a, a certain bubble that you grow up in. I went to a school where 90% of my classmates were also Cuban-Americans, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, children of people who came also in the 60s. And so there was a real sort of self-reinforcement of the same story over and over again. And it was easy, I think, to uh, forget that, you know, other people have suffered, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, and suffered great, great, great losses. And so that was my first introduction to that. And it was a very useful introduction. It really knocked me, uh, you know, into sense in a lot of ways. And then, of course, I um, traveled through Sri Lanka during the Civil War and, and, and interviewed people there, and I was in Kashmir for that war, and then I spent 10 days in Afghanistan, which really changed my life in a lot of ways. And all of those, uh, getting, you know, 
people get into journalism for different reasons, mm-hmm. I think. But I think a lot of us who do get into journalism, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think I may be when I say that it's because we're interested in people. Mm-hmm. And we're interested in people's stories. And there's no better way to collect stories than to travel the world. And every story is its own story. Cada persona es un mundo. You know, my mother always says every right. person's their own world. Mm-hmm. So you honor that. But you also get to see that stories overlap and that the themes repeat and that there are certain motifs that are true across time, across cultures. And that that's, feels like it unlocks something in you, right? I mean, this is your fifth book, yeah. but it feels like that period in your life really unlocked something in you to just lay it all out there, right? I think so. I think I have uh, gradually from my first book uh, in Cuba was a German Shepherd that came out in 2001. So we're talking more than 20 years ago yeah. now. I think I have gradually added more of the world's stories to it while maintaining this core that I know and that I understand and that I'm obsessed with and probably will always be obsessed with. But I think each subsequent book has been a, a, a tentacle reaching out further into the world and, and finding these commonalities and uh, communicating across my own experience um, into the worlds and the stories of other people. And so the journalism got me there. I mean, I, I, I joke about the horror and, and, and all of that, but I'm so enormously grateful to journalism and to the wonderful, wonderful mentors and friends and colleagues that I had at the Miami Herald. It's still the most formative experience of my life yeah Uh, i'm curious how all those the people that were mentors in your life you know in your family like received you know this you know first you going off halfway across the world (laughs) you know for this uh, the little cubanita who was then raised in private school in miami how did they receive that this uh you know your you know, the, the, the education of, of Anna Menendez, you know? Yeah, yeah, I hope my mom's listening. I think she, she may be. I, I think they were horrified. <laughs> oh, uh, every imagine. time I've quit a good job, my mom has been horrified. Pero niña. <laughs> um, I remember the night before I went into Afghanistan, I hadn't told my parents I was going into Afghanistan. Good, good um, move. Good until plan. it was for sure, because I didn't want to worry them unnecessarily. But then, you know, we were going to do it. Everything came together, and I called them from Peshawar, from uh, the the border of, of Pakistan, Afghanistan. I called them uh, on the satellite phone to say, you know, just want you to know I'm going to be gone for 10 days. You probably won't hear from me. I'm going to be in Afghanistan. And there was a long, long silence on the other line. My, it was talking to my dad, mm. and, um, you know, he said, uh, oh, what are we going to do? It's your work. Yep. And, you know, it's it wasn't a, <laughs> a ringing endorsement, yep. obviously. And um, I always remember that so. reminds me of this old football coach we covered. And uh, he'd uh, been coaching for years and then he had a heart attack. And then like two weeks later, he was back coaching. And they're like, coach, you know, mm-hmm. are you sure you're up for this? And he goes, what you going to do? <laughs> That's like, right. <laughs> like this is this is the life we have chosen. This is the only thing that gives me. This yeah. is the thing that that drives me. That gives me energy. Yeah. You know? Well, I I felt that I needed to go. I had the opportunity, and I thought if I don't take it, uh, I'll probably regret it forever. Because 
You know, that's one of the things that I think journalists also bring to to the work is a curiosity. It's 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 what drives my fiction as well, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is curiosity. You know, what is this? What does this mean? And there was an incredible curiosity. They were, they were talking, you know, there had just been the attacks on the coal, mm-hmm. and uh, they were talking about this figure named Osama bin Laden who was holed up uh, somewhere in Afghanistan, supposedly, and it was the first time I had heard his name. And, of course, the Taliban was there, and it was this very um, closed country uh, to to us. And I was curious. I wanted to see it for myself. So you mentioned earlier that, that the, you said you were more of a coward. You were cowardly, but here you are in these places. So how did, how did writing uh, help you assuage that cowardice? How did you write, how did you write into bravery? Oh, I was a coward throughout the whole trip. Um, I mean, I, when we got to Kabul, I wanted to leave. I wanted to go back, but I couldn't. It was not safe. I, you know, we were there as a group, and I was, I was there. I was stuck, and I was miserable. I was so terrified. You know, I, we witnessed an execution, mm. and I was just a wreck after that. I remember my, I had a, a digital watch. It stopped in the middle of the execution. It was just eerie and, and uh, uh, terrifying. And... But what kept me going uh, were the stories and the people that I met. I you met extraordinary. Yes, I just met extraordinary people, extraordinary women. Uh, there were people who were running <clears throat> schools, uh, illegal schools for girls in their homes. Oh, and at a, at great risk. Uh, great, great risk. Yeah. You, you know, you talk about. Uh, bravery, that was bravery, you know, uh, amazing women who could no longer work, uh, but who re- retained hope, um, and, and who told me our religion uh, does not allow for despair, we hmm. we have hope. And just such extraordinary stories, and it, it kept me going, because, um, you know, one of the things that, again, journalism, one of the gifts of journalism is that it takes you outside of yourself and you're not always thinking of your problems and your cowardice and your fears and you are forced to reckon with the lives of others in a way that I don't think we normally are uh, very much. Did you always think that you'd be, like, was writing a a thing that was obvious to everyone around you that you were going to do? Because, I mean, writing obviously is thinking. So I guess my I'm curious about like who were the big thinkers in your life, mm-hmm. right? That that were talking and thinking about these big things. Oh, definitely my dad, uh, my dad Saul. He um, you yeah. wrote you wrote in, in the acknowledgments that he he would give you books really early on. Yeah, well, he gave me books early on. My uncle Dionisio Martinez is another one who uh, gave me Carl Sandburg's poetry when I was in, you know a five year old in oh, kindergarten. <laughs> Um, and so, and my parents were always reading. Um, it, my, all of my family were big readers. I mean, you might remember, uh, we're contemporaries, so you might remember malls used to have bookstores in them. That's and right. we'd go to the mall. <laughs> Borders, and, baby. Yeah, and, yeah. and B. Dalton was yeah. that one of them. That's right. And uh, we would go to the mall with my mom, and that's where we would be. We wouldn't be shopping for clothes. We'd be in B. Dalton. And, but it's uh, one so, thing to go from the reading to the writing of. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about some of those early moments where you 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 went from thinking to writing, and then someone noticed in a way that made you react? Mm-hmm. Where are some of those times? 
Uh, probably very young. Yeah. I mean, I wrote my first poem, uh, I think, in kindergarten. Uh, it was about a, how the butterfly got its name. And, of you course, remember that. butter was involved. Uh, yes, uh, I do. I remember this. And Does your mother have that poem? I think she may have yeah, it. It sounds I, like she might. I have. think she might have it somewhere. But... Uh, always, I mean, but more than a writer, I like to tell stories. Uh, and I was the kid at the lunch table telling, you know, exaggerated stories about my family. Oh, that's and, not Cuban know. at all. <laughs> <laughs> and my family were great storytellers. You know, I always, I, I, my this book is dedicated to both my grandmothers who were thwarted in, in you know, culturally and 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 politically and situationally, and they had to leave their uh, countries. But they were both great storytellers and great poets of life. And my grandmother, Manuela Kika, we she would come, I, I tell people this all the time, but she would come from a 10-minute visit to Publix with a story that took 20 minutes to tell because <laughs> uh, she would just notice everything and everybody and she had stories it, need sta- it needed stage directions and scenery and <laughs> yes and, and descriptions of the people and what they were doing and um, picture this Publix 1997 <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so um, you know they taught me my grandmothers taught me to observe uh, my gra- my uncle taught me to uh, make poetry of life mm. My father taught me to philosophize. Uh, my mother taught me a lot of common sense and saying things as they are. So it really does take a tribe to make a writer. Yeah, finding finding your your spot in writing, it's it's like it's like trying on a lot of things, right? I mean, you were a columnist, and that has its own. You know, you learn things there. Mm-hmm. Um, you were like, I think I want to say I read that you started like covering Little Havana as a beat. God, mm-hmm. if that if that didn't teach yeah, you things, as that was a, fabulous, right? So, talk to me about about how those. I guess there's a lot of it's it's kind of like a relationship. You figure out what you don't want, right? Yes, that's <laughs> right. Before you arrive, <laughs> and the thing that's left is the thing that you want. Yes, uh, yes. it's kind of like like uh, sifting, right? Yeah. Um, talk to me about the things that are that now are interesting to you. The things mm-hmm. that are that really you wrap your arms around. Like this is things that I'm really interested in. People. Hmm. I, I think it just comes down to people. It's always been people, no matter what I was doing. And um, so a couple of things. One is the importance of a humanities education. I, I can't say that enough. Uh, humanities are, are disrespected now in a lot of quarters, unfortunately. Uh, not as many students are studying them, and I think this is a big mistake. I think everything, uh, I've had a very interesting and joyous life, and I owe it all not all, but in great part to being educated in the humanities. I mean, just the, the search for, for trying to understand different cultures is yes. just at the heart of, uh, of everything. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, um, and so that, that to me is, is, is very important. Uh, and then uh, that has also given me a firm enough foundation that I'm able to do many different jobs mm-hmm. and, and find out what I don't want to do, right? So my first... Um, I, I had a, an internship when I was still in college as a PR person uh, in the marketing department of a company downtown here. And I very quickly realized I do not want to do this. No. Um, people were so serious. I mean, the, the work was, you know, uh, n- not saving lives. 
and but they were so serious about it. There was no sense of humor. And then I did a, a clerkship at the Miami Herald, and I thought, oh, these are my people. And you know, oh, talk there's about nothing mentors. Like, that, like finding your tribe. I talk nothing about it all the time. Like it. Yeah. Nothing like it. I, you know, I talk about mentors. Pat Andrews, my first uh, editor there at the Fort Lauderdale Bureau, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, I would come h- home and my whole face would ache from laughing so hard all day. Just fabulous people, uh, that whole office. Well, and these are storytellers like your family were yes, storytellers, right? Yes. Like the, you found the group that reminded you of home. That's right. That's yeah. right. And just who were able to see the humor uh, in, in just about everything and, and to live with a lightness. Uh, and so, again, my, my education in humanities, which allowed me to m- make sense of lots of material, allowed me to talk to people, allowed me to understand the world or, or at least be interested in the world, mm-hmm. uh, that set the stage for me to just move around and do a lot of different work with the confidence that I, I could get it. I could study it and I could, I could get it. So, and you, I, don't sh- and you don't shrink from topics like the characters in your books. <sighs> deal with real things and some that we've experienced you know and, and life yeah. and what have you and that's that's I guess to me the part where the bravery comes from is even if you have to put it in the voice of another person or lend yeah. a little strand a little thread to a character and that's that's a way of, of getting through those things right yes well I have tried to be courageous and I tried to be courageous as a reporter um, I, I I still do think of myself as mostly a coward who um, has a, a strong sense of social justice that that um, gives me some um, I wouldn't say bravery but gives me a, a kind of need to uh, to tell stories that people don't want to be told for mm-hmm. instance um, but I've done a lot of different work. I mean, I was a freelance writer. I was a freelance photographer. I started a writing program at Maastricht University. I, um, in, in the <coughs> Netherlands, right? In the Netherlands. I directed a, a grant here at FIU. So, And I, I teach uh, now. I've written uh, fiction. Um, so for so someone who's done so many things all over the world, like, have you... F- is Miami a place where you see yourself, or is this just the stop where we're at now before you uh-huh. uh, before you move on to something else? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I um. Are you starting to get restless? <laughs> is my question. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, you're a good reporter, Carlos. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, it's become tough, right? The states become tough mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the humanities are under a, fire. You have a young son, right? I have a young son in school. We just got an uh, email yesterday about some big police activity training for active drills in mm-hmm. his school. Um, these things are tough uh, to accept. And, um, you know, on the other hand, I, I love my colleagues at FIU. I love my students. So uh, it's a matter of uh, flowing with life and seeing what comes. I, you know, I, I really dislike these questions that you get in in uh, inter in um, job interviews, where where do you see yourself in five years, right? Um, Same. You know, when when somebody asks that, I, I always think not here, um, <laughs> uh, because I never plan my life that far ahead. I I do have a plan. I save a lot of money. I I know what I, what I want to be doing in a year or two from now. But I think having too rigid of a plan 
it closes you off to opportunities that uh, you have to be open to and and sort of alive to um, that if you're rigid and you say well that this opportunity has come up but this is not in my five-year plan uh, so I'm not going to do that and then you miss out on a lot you know I mean going to Cairo was like that for me and uh, it was just something I decided to do spur of the moment I did it I got accepted I was very lucky and then I met my wonderful husband there and from that decision came a whole life uh, you know a son uh, a work that I enjoy um, and yeah I it's very fortunate in that way five-year plans don't allow for a life of adventure Anna Menendez thank you so much for spending the hour with us oh, thank you Carlos it's been a joy our guest today was the author Anna Menendez her new book is The Apartment and that's Sundown for Tuesday, August 8th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Helen Acevedo helped produce the show. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can download it on your favorite podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, if you turned on the radio in the 80s and 90s, you heard merengue mixed with Miami bass. It was the sound of DJ Laz. Lázaro Mendez joins us. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. <laughs>